Well, what is up, everybody? Hopefully you're doing great wherever you're watching from today. Uh, we're just so thrilled you're joining us again, or maybe not again. Maybe this is your first time where you've hit play on our online gathering and liturgy at Praxis. We're just so thrilled. I want to welcome you to this. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor at Praxis Church. And if we haven't met in real life, which is a possibility these days. Uh, we just, I just want to say hi and welcome, and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet at some point uh, in the near future. But we're just so thrilled you guys have hit play again from wherever you are. I'm on the back deck this uh, today, this morning, whenever you're watching, um, partly because the weather is finally so nice and we're finally getting some nice weather. So from my back deck to wherever you're watching from, uh, we're just so thrilled that you're joining in with us for the seventh Sunday of Easter. It's just hard to believe that here we are. We started this journey through the church calendar with Advent in December, and now here we are all the way at the end of May in the seventh week of Easter in the season called Eastertide. And uh, I know it's a different moment we're in right now, obviously, and we can, you can't say that enough, how different the times are. But it is still interesting how quick the weeks go. And so we're looking ahead as well to next week and Pentecost Sunday to kind of conclude this journey together through the church calendar. It's been a blast. With all that said, I just wanted to say before we jump in, just how, how proud I am of our community here at Praxis uh, in this moment. You know, one of the things that I, as we look and kind of go up 30,000 feet and just look at our community, I'm just so proud at how we are thriving as a community in this season. There's a number of things going on beyond what you see in our online gatherings and liturgy on Sunday that I just am so, so happy about and we're so happy about as a leadership team. You know, right now, we're practicing the spiritual discipline of study in scripture. And so there are families in our community reading through the gospels together. Our family is doing this together. There's a number of people that have joined in on our online course. Uh, it's called the, An Introduction to the Hebrew Bible, which is just a phenomenal course learning about the shape and the origin of the Old Testament and why we would even engage something like the Old Testament. It's been beautiful. Uh, many of our communities are meeting online together periodically and joining in and uh, seeing each other online, which has been so beautiful. And I just, man, I, we just sense it. Many of us are reaching out to our brothers and our sisters all around us. Uh, we just see stories and pictures of people reaching out, joining in. And uh, it's been really beautiful to see the church alive and active in our moments and in our time. And so many of you reaching out to your brothers and sisters. And I just wanted to say, again, before we jump in, just well done. How happy we are uh, that we can kind of thrive even in a very unique and unsettling moment for many of us. And that's uh, a testament to you guys and your faithfulness towards each other. We're proud of you so much. And, you know, I think it's just shown us in this moment in time that, this is not a formula or a strategy. The church is not a formula or a strategy. It's people together. And when we can't be together, I just think of how the little moments where people have reached out, how beautiful that has been. It's about loving others and caring for others, especially in a very unique way in this time. I also, and we also wanted to say, well done on the justice side of our church. You know, over these couple of months, we've been able to commit $700 to local organizations within our city just to help during this time. Some of that is going to the London Food Bank. Well done for giving to that and giving to our spring outreach. Others of that is going to a local women's shelter, and we're just so thrilled to be able to help in any way that we can. As a church community this spring, we've done $500 in our budget. There's other monies that have come in, and we're just so thankful. And that can grow. As more comes in under our spring outreach, we're going to do whatever it takes to kind of see this kind of move forward in our city. So 
you're making a difference. And we're just so thrilled, again, that you could join in with us. Now, with all this said, um, what we're going to do is a little different. Normally, we open our gatherings both when we're together and on our in our online gatherings the last number of weeks with the time of music. And we're going to get there in a couple minutes. But I've already said it's the seventh week, really the last week of Eastertide, the season of Easter where we celebrate resurrection. We celebrate the hope that Jesus brings. And what I want to do is just take a couple minutes and reflect and then lead us into that. And we'll kind of close with the time of music and reflection and response this morning. And so maybe you've expected music right here and you're like, oh my goodness, here we go. And you need to grab a Bible or fire on your phone and you want to join me. You can open with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Now, while you're flipping there, I've already said it uh, in our introduction this morning, but it's just true. This is no doubt an interesting moment that we're living in in this moment. Uh, I, I said to somebody recently, I'm going to have to pay or pay my kids or pay out money every time I use the word uncertain. I'm trying not to use this word anymore because it's kind of this overused word, but I think it's overused in many respects because it's true. I don't know about you, but I remember Friday, March 13th pretty vividly. Uh, ironically, it was Friday the 13th, but it was this day of just really interesting and uncertain. There, I'm going to have to pay somebody. Uncertain times. Um, my daughter's behind the camera, by the way, and she's like waving, saying, yes, they send, that, send those funds to me. I'll even take a check. But, um, you know, Friday the 13th in March was just really interesting day. It was the day where we decided that we were going to actually cancel our gathering the coming Sunday. The night before, um, I was heading out the door to play my final hockey game with the team I was playing with. And through that, had learned that minor hockey and sports and school had been canceled for the foreseeable future. And I thought if minor hockey is canceled in Canada, it must be the apocalypse. From then, we know every day has been interesting with no we don't really know clarity in what the future will hold or what it will look like. We don't know, honestly, if the world is going to go back to normal again. We don't even, you know, I hear pundits, I see people on Twitter writing articles about what normal or what won't be normal will be. But the reality is, is we just, we do not know what the future holds and what the future looks like. And if we're honest, for many of us, this just simply triggers anxiety which is understandable, right? I think of those, I, I think of my neighbors right now. We have neighbors on each side of us that have sons in grade eight. And I think of those grade eight kids and high school kids and even college and university students that were in our own church that were gonna graduate. And they've basically lost graduation for the time being. And these times of together, these really actually in culture, these really pivotal moments in the spring, you think of prom and celebrations and all that comes with graduation. I think of people that are close to us that have lost their jobs. I think of others that were working really hard to start new careers and everything has been stopped on a dime. And, you know, some of us are waiting to see the long-term effects of what's going to go down and how this is all going to go down, the financial situation. And those of us with kids and family, we wonder and we kind of imagine a world and the future of the world for our kids and our family and everybody around us. Then in my case, you know, the uncertainty for me breeds a lot of kind of anxiety around what the church will look like. 
You know, what's the church going to look like in the future? Uh, Praxis has always been a community that's kind of been transient. Let's be honest. We're young. I think we're 95% under the age of 40. And so with that, people are coming and going, coming to the city, leaving the city, uh, entering new jobs, circumstances, school, all that. It's, we've been a very transient community over the years. And the reality is you put into that uh, just the fact that we don't know when we're going to meet next. We don't know what that will look like. You know, I read articles about we're not even going to be able to sing together because that will somehow pass a virus or disease. Even in this situation, it's easy for a lot of people to hide. A lot of people are hiding in this moment. You know, the the social isolation has, has spurred on a lot of things inside of us. And we don't even, the anxiety in me is we don't even know what the future of the church is going to look like. There's anxiety all around us. Psychologists talk of the biopsychosocial effects of anxiety. And don't, don't worry about the big word. Simply put, there are biological and genetic components to anxiety. So, you know, for some of us, anxiety has been passed on to us genetically. There's actually studies that have shown this. It's been passed on genetically, making us predisposed to anxiety and anxiety conditions. There's psychological components to anxiety, and many of us know this. Maybe you feel even right now, it's difficult to stay on task or concentrating. You worry in your mind. Others of us may experience memory difficulties and a sense of hopelessness in our minds through a season like this. So you have the genetic component, the bio component, you have the psychological component. And then certainly, of course, there are the environmental factors of anxiety. I don't know if you know this, but a person's environment, including disorienting events and life situations, and when things go awry or bad, these things can have a significant impression on us when it comes to anxiety. And here's the beauty. In all the stories we've told through Eastertide and the hope that Jesus brings, you know, we've looked at the road to Emmaus and Thomas and people who have doubted and walked away. We've looked now for the last number of weeks at Peter's letter in 1 Peter to a group of exiled Christians in the ancient Mesopotamian and they're sorting out how they're going to live this out. Amongst all the beauty and the hope that Jesus brings, One of the things I think we need to think about, and I think what today's text does, is it actually addresses our anxiety. It addresses us, right? I think, though the moment is different, and I think we need to be really clear, and if you've listened in the last couple of weeks, we've been just talking about how different the moment for them in the first century was. They were under persecution, under Rome, under the empire. There was all sorts of things in their moment that are different. But I look at this and I think, we have a God who looks on us and actually cares about our anxiety. So it's different for us than it is them. You know, I think of Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesmat. They say this, that reading a biblical text requires a double discernment of both the historical context of the text at hand and the context of reading in community. And I think how important it is to understand the, the difference in their day to the difference in ours. But now let's read the text And just let's see what it has for us, because I think it says and speaks some things over us today. This is what Peter says. 1 Peter 5, look down at verse 6 with me. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. 
and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And let's just say it together, actually. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Now, imagine the kind of feeling you would have had in the ancient world as a Jesus follower. Like, let's just take a moment and try and put ourselves in that time. You're a Gentile, so you're not a Jew. You're kind of outside the covenant when it comes to the Jewish identity and way of living. You're a Gentile. And I think actually Peter is speaking here primarily to Gentiles. You've given your life to follow Jesus. So you've laid everything down. You've counted the cost maybe with family who has different worldviews or whatever it is. And think about it. You're unsure how a tyrannical ruler named Caesar and his particular kingdom and empire is going to respond to you as you follow the way of Jesus. This whole thing is new to you. Remember, we have a couple thousand, if you put yourself in their place, we have a couple thousand years to dissect and to learn from church history. This is brand new for this community. It's brand new to you if you're a first century Christian that Peter's writing to, but you've given your life to follow King Jesus and you know that life is actually found in his way. I would assume amongst all that, all the external pressure, that anxiety is part of the story that there has to be anxiety in this particular and very complex story. And listen, I just want to leave you, this is more reflective than probably a normal teaching for us. I just want to leave you with a few things and what Peter leads this church in and how to deal with this. This is what he says. Listen to what Peter says and how he leads them. He says this, cast your anxiety on him. Cast your anxiety on him. The reality is, think with me, What other religion says that there's a God who empathizes and understands our anxiety? I mean, if you look at the history, even from the ancient Near East, normally people are at odds with the gods. And yet the God that we follow, the God of the Bible, who in flesh is Jesus of Nazareth, he actually empathizes with us. He actually comes alongside. You know, one of the things that we're going to get into when we talk about the Holy Spirit next week is that the Holy Spirit now, as Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit actually comes alongside of us. And the primary picture we get of this Holy Spirit is that he is the one that comforts us. There's no other God like this. Throughout the course of human history, we look and we just see, man, this is why I'm compelled to this, that we can cast our anxieties on God. And not only does Jesus take our sin upon himself, he actually takes our anxiety upon himself. And I think, man, there's a ton of us. I think that in this time, we just need to hear that, that we have a God who empathizes, who comes, who actually stoops down into our story and gives of himself and says, cast it on me. Jesus didn't just take his sin upon him. I mean, the sin side of the story and him absorbing our sin and our pain and our brokenness is amazing. But I think even right now as we come around this, just remember, God wants us to cast our anxiety on him. Then he says this, be alert. Peter here is very, um, just very in tune with what's happening that there's actually a battle raging. There's things that are going on that we can see certainly around us, but then there's things that we can't see. And Peter here encourages the church to be alert of the enemy who is roaring like a lion. And one of the things that I think we just need to be reminded in is that that enemy is not what we see oftentimes in flesh and blood. 
you know, one of the things that Peter says is that we're to resist and stand firm against the Satan schemes, against the devil's schemes, that we're to stand firm as people who follow Jesus because we're to be alert in the things that would come against us. And again, our first century brothers and sisters who are going through it in the ancient Roman Empire, they understand this. They know that they're up against it. But I think this is something that we can actually take a hold of today, to be alert. You know, we're going to get into this in the month of June. We actually have a series planned on the unseen realm. And I've been talking to some people in our community. I'm so excited for it. It's going to be a blast as we talk about things like angels and demons and the unseen realm. And just the whole idea that the Bible actually gives of the spiritual beings, of spiritual beings in the spiritual world. And one of the things is that I've engaged this, and we'll get into this again in June, is that I'm a little weary in our rational world of people who do not buy spiritual warfare. Because one, it's all over the scriptures. And two, you get here to Peter. And one of the things he understands is there are things that we cannot see that we need to stand firm against. And I just want to keep that before us as a community. Certainly we cast our anxiety on him, but part of how we do this is where we become alert to the powers and principalities and the things that want to come against our lives. And then Peter just simply ends with this, live with hope. You know, the common theme in 1 Peter is that the community here that's under persecution and under it sees themselves as strangers and exiles in the world that they're in. Yet the hope that they're leaning into and living into is that there is another age coming. That this is what resurrection has inaugurated. That we are in a long line of people that went through hell and high water. They went through all sorts of horrific things around them. And yet the future hope is what they leaned into. It's interesting here that Peter uses the term and he says, You have suffered a little while knowing that as he speaks to these people in their current moment, that there is a day that we're leaning into as people who follow Jesus, where Jesus will come and renew and restore all things and strength will be brought to us in that. And I think from the first century to to now, to, to today, and I know, again, we are not suffering like our first century brothers and sisters are. Let's not play it like that. Let's be honest. I know we're in isolation, but most of us are watching way too much Netflix and probably eating too way many, way, way too many treats. And if that's not you, let's be honest, in the fest house, that's just probably us a little bit. But I think one of the things that Peter's doing here is he's saying, you may be suffering, but your suffering is temporary. You may be suffering, but this is temporary. That actually maybe it could be distilled down to one of the things that freaks the world out about the Jesus community is we're not just living for now. Yes, eternal life starts now here in the present. Yes, we will all die someday. But we are actually living for the telos, the end goal of this story, which is to live with Jesus forever. And that actually changes the mindset right in this, in this moment because it doesn't matter what comes our way. And Peter, even Paul, a guy like Paul in the New Testament would then begin to pick up on this and say that actually the power of this story is in weakness. You may lose your life like Christians have for so many years, but we're not just living for the temporal. We are living for the age to come. And this is so upside down because one of the things that comes across in what Peter's trying to encourage the church here is that there's actually hope in our suffering. There's hope in our suffering. You may feel like you're against it. The world is raging against you. You may feel like you are anxious about even the things that we've talked about today. 
but there's actually hope in our suffering. This is the Jesus way. So upside down, it's probably, if you've heard this for the first time, is so countercultural and counterintuitive to our, even our own culture's way of living, but this is how it goes. So one, cast your cares and anxiety on Jesus. Two, be alert, be aware, be aware of the things going on around you, stand firm. And of course, three, live with this hope. Step into this moment right now of hope, knowing that Jesus is going to renew all things. I hope you'll join in with us. I think it's not a mistake that this is the text for the seventh week of Eastertide because it leads us to the reality that yes, resurrection and new creation is inaugurated and it's bursting forth all around us through Jesus, but that we can actually lean on him in this present age. So with all this said, here's what I want us to do. We're going to sing in a minute. Some guys are going to come from their living rooms and they're going to lead us and they've done a great job. I also know that it can be a little awkward to kind of stand up and worship in your living room. I'm just, I'm aware of that. I, I get, it's just a weird moment we're in. But one of the things I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to read the psalm for this week over us. And I just want to read it over you. And I'm going to pray. But here's what I think. For some of us, as we kind of end this journey towards Eastertide and through Eastertide, Maybe you take a moment right now and you just grab a pen. Maybe it's a piece of paper or whatever. And I, you can even do this on your phone if you don't get distracted. And maybe you just write out, even as we reflect through the Psalms and through prayer and now worship, you would just reflect a little bit on your anxiety and giving that over to the King of the universe. Guys, we have a God who empathizes with us. He knows. He's experienced pain. And I think he wants us to bring our pain to him today. And so as I read and as we do this and as we kind of step into this, this next kind of section of our gathering today, just do this. Do this with me. Reflect on the, the different things in your life that maybe you need to, to hand over. I know there's things in my life this morning. You know, I've, I've shared about my own anxiety, the things that I, I'm wrestling through, the things that I fear at times. But maybe we could do this as a group. Let me read this. This is our psalm for this morning. It says this. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellions live in sun-scorched land. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain, before before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it. And from your boundary, God, you provided for the poor. And Father, I just pray right now that we would be a community that would just cast our cares and anxiety in you. God, thank you that you empathize. You've, you come alongside. And I pray that you would come alongside of us right now in our worship you do this deep work within us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.